Welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome to The B-Sides. Hello. Hey. Hello. We are a podcast for progressives who love pop. We're so glad you're here. So subscribe if you haven't already. We come out with episodes every other Wednesday. Subscribing makes it way easier to keep up. And open up the description of this episode to find other ways to join this internet home. Today, we're going to talk about Olivia Rodrigo. After all, who is she if not exploited? Her rise to fame illuminates so much about the state of music today and the state of celebrity today. So let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. So Olivia Rodrigo, our vaccine czar, of course, is the moment. We are in an inflection point with her. And I think that how we act now will determine not only her future as a celebrity, but the future of celebrity in the U.S., like in the U.S., in the world. So what we're going to do in this episode is we'll go through some predictions for where Olivia is going. Then we're going to go over what it is about millennial ears that make sour so delicious to us, and then go over why we think she particularly has a lot to teach us about the state of celebrity and the concept specifically of oversaturation. So Becky and Mimi, first, can you tell me what your first memories of her are? Like, When did you know about her and when did you know that she was a star? And are those the same moment? Um, I learned about her in January of this year when driver's license became basically an overnight sensation. I think probably one of you sent me the song or someone else. I don't know. And then when I think when Deja Vu came out at the beginning of April, that's when I was like, okay, we are going somewhere. We are not a one hit wonder. Not that I assume she would be, but just confirmation of that. We are on track to being a household name very quickly. So those were not the same moment for me, but they were very close together, which I think speaks to her uh, meteoric rise. I watched high school musical, musical series. So I've known about her for a long time because she is awesome in that show. I actually am embarrassed to say I'm not current on season two yet. It is on my list of things to get to. But so I've like known about her since 2019 um, and she's awesome in that show. They what's great about the show beyond it being like just ridiculous in every sense of the word is they put the stuff on iTunes on Spotify so she had a lot of songs already and she went pretty viral on TikTok one of her songs from the show before driver's license um one of her songs from the show went pretty viral too so the pandemic was good to her um as was the monster that is Disney Becky did you feel like of all the people in the cast I watched the first two episodes and I always meant to continue but then I forgot but I thought she was like I remember being like wow this she's really talented did you feel like anybody else in the cast should or could be at that level like what or like Joshua Bassett also like what do you like I like Joshua Bassett too I think he I mean he's getting residual fame because of her and he is actually pretty famous I know we're not the demographic anymore um because they are like more than 10 years younger than us um but then, you know, I'm thinking even what is the demographic for high school, high school, musical, the musical, the series, since we grew up with high school musical that I'm like, shouldn't we, we should be the people that are watching that show. Um, but I think Josh, Joshua Bassett and yeah, it reminds me of Glee. It's like an offshoot of Glee, which can be a podcast for another time. A hundred percent. So just one follow-up question 
from that, since you guys both saw at least some of this show, um, what, what did you think when driver's license came out since she wasn't sort of totally new to you? It was awesome. I love driver's license and I think she has an amazing voice and she has an amazing voice on the show that is showcased quite often. Um, and it, it fit her like sad girl vibes of the show too. And I think that I have um, tried mostly unsuccessfully at this point to stay a little bit, a little, little, little bit current with Disney Channel stars because I have always known from before I was their age, when I was their age and now way after that, like that is where you kind of look to to see the, the next stars. So I felt like at first when Driver Lessons came out, I was like, oh, great. This is something that like, I get to know about, and it's this, I thought she was going to be famous one day. And the way that it would work is, you know, all the 20 somethings already like know her, but you know, I would get to say in a few years, oh yeah, I listened to her when driver's license came out thinking that would be kind of the underrated song. And then in two years from now, she has a break, a big breakout hit, but it turns out that that was the hit. And it's not at all a niche take to be like, oh yeah, I listened to driver's license. There's like nothing underground about that. Right. But it's like perfectly reasonable for that to have been your expectation because that would usually be the case. Yeah. I think the show also gave her a foundation too and like propelled her a lot into stardom. I think she probably, I don't, I don't know if she really would be where she is today, but weren't for the show because it comes with built-in fans too. Yeah. So does that mean that she wouldn't be where she was today without Vanessa Hudgens? And I had the same thought, honestly, um, that Vanessa Hudgens and and all of them really like she's standing on their shoulders, the shoulders of giants. I mean, in this episode and, you know, in all the think pieces about Olivia, the giants that she's usually, you know, in the in the path that they, I don't know, paved is like Taylor, Avril, whatever, like even Alanis. We never mentioned Vanessa Hudgens, <laughs> but, you know, she she wouldn't have gotten. I, I honestly don't think that she would be where she is today in a specific way without Vanessa Hudgens playing Gabriella on High School Musical. That's so true. She has, you know, in a sense, she's acknowledged the Glee cast, but I think she's snubbed Vanessa Hudgens so far. So that's an important point for sure. Would love to see Vanessa Hudgens join the vaccine conversations and just be do a big 180 from her horrible take really early yeah. on that aged so badly immediately as it came out of her mouth and aged badly. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because I remember that. Uh, that was alive, right? That was alive. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Do you remember the TikTok where they put it to music? Which one? It went, if everybody gets it, well, yeah, people are going to die, which is <laughs> terrible, but inevitable. <laughs> I might have. Uh, thank you that. for saying that. That was beautiful. I don't think I'd heard that one. Um and it's like, like it's like every day for our times. That's what it sounds like. It's great. That was every day. Anyway, so that's where Olivia Olivia's um, entry into the public sphere, you know, started and, and our takes on it. So let's go into some predictions for where she goes from here, because we think I think Olivia is here to stay. Like we said that right when driver's license came out and immediately um, right away, as we kind of mentioned, it was potentially a hot take to be like, this is a future pop star. But I think now it's pretty safe to say that's not a hot take anymore. And a lot of you, our listeners, agree. So I asked on Instagram, um, where do you think Olivia will be in five years? And we got a ton of responses. So let's share some of them. Yeah, many of you actually compared her to the biggest pop stars. Sarah said, I think she's without a doubt. She's Gen Z's Taylor Swift. Hannah has Taylor Shift, but both work. Um, Miriam said, as a main pop girl with Taylor, Ari, Billy, and Selena. Yell said, a mini Ari and T-Swift combo, a.k.a. will absolutely take over the world, and I'm ready for it. And many of you, including Aaron and John, said she's on her way to being Taylor-level famous. And I think we our mind has some inception on that. And it's because we know Olivia loves Taylor and views her as a uh, little, a little Taylor. 
I love Taylor Shift and I'm taking it and using it somehow. <laughs> um, okay. Some of you said basically that Olivia is destined to be huge and therefore is not comparable to existing pop stars. Melanie said, I mean, imagine explaining Taylor Swift's fame in the past. You can't because it was unprecedented. It's hard to explain because each person's fame looks different. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree that I wouldn't say that Taylor Swift's level of fame was unprecedented at all, but I would say the way that she has used it and navigated it in her time, certainly. And Noah said, I think she'll be the canonical pop songwriter of the century, the century bigger than Tay. Wow. That's high, high expectations. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big reputation. And a lot of you are excited about her sound specifically. John said the first album was okay. Emoji meaning great. LOL. She's also had lots of room to grow and evolve. And some of you finally are thinking really, really big. Dana said that Olivia's going to be done with Disney parallel parking on her third or fourth album and successful, but I don't know if she's going to be ruling pop. Craig said, hopefully leading a Lilith Fair-esque wave of rock grunge singer songwriters into top 40. Craig, I am with you on that. And Liz said, White House press secretary for the Harris Buttigieg administration. Um, we did it, Joe. That would be not... Not what we want for her, but I could see it, but we don't want it. I love it so much. Um, so yeah, given all of those takes, Mimi and Becky, like what does your gut tell you about Olivia's trajectory, specifically in five years or more broadly? Okay. So um, alluding to what I was just saying, I think that there is a pretty clear and relatively unique path forward for her, assuming that she wants to build on what she started. There is, I think we all know, like a clear mix of 2000s pop punk, alt pop, 90s alt rock via Brutal on Sour. And so if she doubles down on those influences, I think that she could really carve out her own subgenre that like nobody else is really playing at at the moment in mainstream pop. Um, and I also feel great about the fact that she has her own her she has legal ownership over her own music, her masters. So that is a positive looking forward um, in terms of her image more and like her influence beyond music and media and pop culture. I think that depends on whether our society is actually evolving past exploiting young pop stars or just like eviscerating them for no reason. And my gut is like TBD. We don't know. Um, but I think lastly, I'll wrap up with like, even if she didn't do anything else at this point, I think several ballads on Sour, including Traitor and Favorite Crime and probably some others are almost like a version of Goodbye to You by Michelle Branch, which is an amazing song, um, which has appeared in like Buffy the Vampire Slayer a seminal moment in Laguna beach and the Hills and um, that some of these songs could have like years of soundtracking iconic TV moments over the next decade. So I think there's a lot of places she could go, but some places I'm really unclear on until we see what happens with Britney Spears specifically. Yeah. I think Mimi really hit the nail on the head. I don't have much to add except if history repeats itself on the way that we as a society treat people who came up with Disney. Um, I am worried about her future. 100%. I do think, um, so I was watching Sour Prom today, actually. I don't know what took me so long. Um, I definitely had a moment where I was like, oh, I need to watch Sour Prom before this recording. And then I was like, I love my life. Like I quote unquote have to watch Sour Prom. Like <laughs> I did the same thing today and I hadn't seen it before. It's great. So cute. It's like so I'm so you know, I'm proud of us speaking of we did a Joe anyway so I was watching sour prom today 
And we're going to get into this element a little bit later in the episode, but I was thinking about how from the get-go, she is designing an image that has like one foot in two worlds in a lot of different ways. Like she doesn't just do ballad or rock. She doesn't just do acoustic or like, you know, other sounds. She's also kind of like not really a clear good girl or bad girl. She's not a clear like asexual or sexual girl. Like she's kind of just in a lot of, and I think that something we're going to talk about later is how she's already kind of putting a foot into politics in a way that just makes it clear that whichever direction she decides to grow into and evolve into and the many directions she can go into, there'll be some sort of precedent for it. It won't be a huge aberration from the get-go. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think she's done a great job of, of um, she has a lot of qualities about her that I think make her pretty unique, but also don't pigeonhole her, which is something you definitely don't want as an 18-year-old. Um, and so she could totally go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. And the other thing I think that she has going for her that will help her continue to be this huge star is how much she's a theater kid. I think that like very specifically, it helps her. She's immediately a crossover, right? She's already a double threat. Oh, that was something else I was thinking of when I was watching Sour Prom is she is making it clear she's, at least for now, she's not going to be a dancer. She, right, her her backup dancers had awesome choreography and she was not involved. She had no interest, it seemed. So I thought that was great. But anyway, but also like the way that she is so emotive in these songs, I think is is due to her theater kid-ness. And I think will serve her, will continue to serve her very well. Great point. All right. So let's go into what what millennials think of Olivia and why that matters. We can't not. We can't not go into it. It's a huge part of all of this. So, of course, many think pieces have been written about the millennial resonance with Olivia's album. And she's having a particularly profound impact on us generationally. Um, and as individuals. And to me, she kind of seems like, and maybe part of this was me watching Sour Prom today, but she kind of seems like a Gen Zer who remembers life before the internet, which I don't think is actually possible. But I love that for her and for us. And tonally, she's like a mix of Gen Z. There's like a specific way that a lot of them sing and and she's a mix of that and then one like one of our girls or more of our girls from the 2000s like Haley Williams or early Avril Lavigne and I've never heard that sort of combination before that I can remember anyway yeah and I have found it useful when I've been thinking about this millennial reaction to Olivia that's been so strong I found it useful to compare and contrast her with Billie Eilish so not in their sound although I do think some of the way that Billy vocalizes has had an impact on the way that um, Olivia sings. But I mean, specifically in the way that millennials have reacted to the two of them. So on the one hand, Billy's music is so, so Gen Z. I think it's amazing. I really like it, but it's not familiar to millennials, right? And our animal brains, this is like psych 101 stuff, especially as we get older, need that familiarity to be able to latch on to something really easily. And Olivia's music is familiar, even as it's also being innovative. So for Billy, it's like when I'm listening to Billy, I'm aware that Billy did not make this for me. And with Olivia, she also didn't make it for me, but she's like, hey, come to the party. Like, I'm glad you're here a little bit more. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about the differences between those two and how much more familiar Olivia's sound is to millennials. Funny, I, and now I remember that Billy and Olivia are like the same age, but in my mind, they're very much not the same age. I think Billy is a lot older, but I think she is a little older. Probably yeah. it feels significant to them. It's like a few years. That's probably a big deal, but yeah, they're certainly the same crew. Cohort. Yeah. yeah. Um, Olivia though is super grounded in her own generation. She's using the Gen Z tools to cultivate a true Gen Z base. She uses social media so well, 
but she's speaking enough to existing pop music conventions that other generations also can like understand and get her and want to listen. And some people feel like she came out of nowhere, which we've talked about, but that's always what happens when someone reaches ubiquity. She has been semi-famous. I would say, I would say famous. Maybe not everyone watched the musical, musical, the series for a few years now through her role on high school musical the musical the musical the series worst title did they not do that in front of a focus group like i don't understand how they workshop that title they were being Uh, cheeky i know but yeah um okay anyway uh which allowed her to write or co-write a few songs that became hits on the radio disney younger demographic crew like 2019's all i want which is an incredible song I would say when I'm listening to um, Sour and I put it on Spotify, her old songs come up too from there and they're great. Uh, And she shared snippets of her album songwriting journey on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, though who the fuck uses Snapchat anymore, uh, which can lead fans to feel super, super invested in her and kind of like they know her. And it's something we can talk about it a later date, but something that Taylor Swift kind of doesn't really do, but yeah, we are so invested in her. So there's uh, both sides of that coin. For sure. So when the album came out, Gen Z was all over it and millennials were quick to follow because the hype was there first of all. And secondly, we liked the songs. Um, and then I wrote a lot of notes here about something that began with an insider article, um, which we will link in the description. And the article basically said without going into a ton that millennials love sour because it bridges the gap between nostalgia and catharsis. Um, And I just think that this is happening. I think that's true. And I think it's happening on multiple levels. Um, And I don't think it's necessarily uh you know exclusive to millennials but we are a big cohort and there are reasons why this stuff speaks to us so okay to sort of like define our terms here first i'll say that i think to me like nostalgia can be nice but it's also bittersweet and it can be dangerous if we want to get into more psych 101 because it's your mind collecting evidence of things that were good in the past and then ignoring what was bad and then bringing you down in the present sometimes. Whether it's nostalgia that um, for a relationship before the breakup or life before a pandemic, things like that. Um, But catharsis is really therapeutic because it's like a release, it's a breakthrough, it deals with the past in a way that's productive in terms of present and, and future momentum. And so, you know, like nostalgia is fine, but I think the combination of nostalgia and catharsis is really great and powerful and fulfilling, especially in the midst of a pandemic with individual and collective trauma and grief, where nostalgia on its own has been like such an obvious natural feeling for so many people, but not totally positive. Okay, so back to Olivia. Sonically and aesthetically and lyrically, she pays tribute to a lot of our faves and acknowledges those influences while also giving us a fresh take um, to also process big, maybe longstanding emotions of our own or from when we were her age. Um, So like it's a, you know, it's a new take to sort of map these songs onto our own earlier foundational experiences in ways that validate them and also like fulfill us. And so um, that's, that's, I think, that's me extrapolating from this article, but that's kind of how I was feeling. And I like that it said that succinctly. I also love, I also think it's kind of cathartic that she has, like we said, more control over her art than most people used to at her age. Um, and, you know, it's like we're experiencing a very familiar it girl rise in fame moment, but potentially also moving forward, which is also cathartic. And I also think that it applies to like the trajectory of the like literal album itself um, because it it's 
I don't know. It's like bridging the nostalgia and catharsis that happens after a first heartbreak. Ideally, a lot of people were like, this album is repetitive. It's kind of all about the same thing, which is not totally true. But I also think it's like, you know, it's it is she's like going from the kind of like bad nostalgia phase after a breakup to sort of like accepting it and growing from it and things like that. Um, and that said, some of the most relatable parts happen in the middle of all that processing when things are unresolved because that's life. So for example, when she says like, you know, the release of screaming, I still fucking love you is not a generation specific experience. Anyone can whine about not being able to parallel park anyone can be angry about the fact that they probably didn't get the teenage dream they thought they were promised. Anyone can get emotional thinking about someone you knew as a kid that you truly hope is okay. Anyone can feel gutted hearing a list of things Olivia did to get a boy to think highly of her just for him to say he's not the compliment type. Um, And anyone can want to throw their phone across the room after five minutes on Instagram or relate to her punctuated phrasing of what the fuck is up with that? What the fuck is up with that? So we have all of these themes in Olivia's music about teenagehood that are really gutting. And yet somehow they're not cringy. For me, I often still can't consume a lot of content about teenagers because it still feels too close to home in some ways. Like it's very cringy for me. And this is not cringy. And so we place those themes over sounds that are familiar to us. And in some ways, it even feels like they're being designed for us millennials to really love. And then you top it off with the fact that these songs are simply very, very good. And you put that all together in a you know recipe. It's a great recipe for millennials. Yeah, and the sound especially is just it's perfect. The sound and aesthetic remixes the 2000s. We have the Y2K nostalgia is here after threatening to arrive for the last few years, we're finally now separated enough that we can be nostalgic for it. And the 15 year trend cycle isn't new, which means the bucket hats and pop punk vibes aren't new, but it does mean that artists who choose to emulate those trends are well positioned. And Olivia has certainly received some criticism, mostly from complete idiots, frankly, about how her sound isn't clearly inspired, is clearly inspired by other music. What's amazing is that she doesn't hide her inspirations, but advertises them like as it should. All music is inspired by some someone or something. So let's go through some of them. Okay, so right away with Good For You, many people heard Misery Business by Paramore. If you listen to Switched On Pop's recent episode about Good For You, they break down not only why it's such a delicious song in general, but some of it's pop punk bona fides. Um, I would also say that Good For You sounds like a Paramore B-side called Decoy, which is a little slower tempo, but FYI. One Step Forward and Three Steps Back and Deja Vu sound like Taylor Swift. Driver's License is like a classic power ballad from even before our generation, like How Do I Get You Alone by heart, Um, but also has kind of, an Adele vibe as well, like a, like a make you feel my love or a, a someone like you probably more appropriately. Um, there is like a seamless someone like you driver's license mashup. It almost doesn't even feel like one. And yeah, speaking of someone like you mashups, lyrically, Olivia shouts out reruns of Glee as if we didn't tune into the original run of the show or recap an episode called Mash Off that also has a someone like you mashup in it. To date, our only mini series on the B side. So scroll back in that feed and check out our three episodes about rewatching Glee. And what do you think we should do another mini series on? Because we had a lot of fun doing that. So if you yeah. have any thoughts, comment them. Love that. Um, so, okay, here's where I start like overthinking certain things. Well, I mean, we've been overthinking the whole time. I guess that's what we do here. But personally, as someone who graduated high school in 2010, I am always interested in discussing the sound of 2009, 2010 pop music because I truly feel like it was the best 
Like, I just think it was awesome. But then I say to myself, well, doesn't everyone feel that way about their like late high school soundtrack? Probably. But I don't think there's any denying that the bigness of that time, like power more and pop punk and Haley Williams on airplanes. Yes. But also not even just the pop punk piece, things like dynamite, bad romance, teenage dreams, teenage dream. Like it was an era of big songs and big sounds and big feelings, super maximalist. And I am like so here for that coming back because I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I actually think the dominant sound right now is relatively understated and understated is fine and good, but it's not what my adolescent ears were trained to be drawn to. So that's also why I feel like this album has those 2010 vibes. Yeah. And from an article on Glamour that we'll link to below, quote, elder millennials argue that Rodrigo owes a debt to our generation singer songwriters. It's not like I'm listening to Olivia Rodrigo and thinking, damn, I wish I had her back in 2000, says Aaron. It's more like, damn, Alanis, Fiona, Gwen, Taylor, they did this. They walked, we walked, so these girls could fly, end quote. For Bethany, Sour brings back memories of listening to Swift, Paramore, and Avril Lavigne. Avon says that connecting with her 14-year-old niece over Rodrigo has opened the door for her to introduce 90s music to the teen. Yeah, so absolutely. Olivia is, as we said, standing on the shoulders of giants and not even in the big songs that we've mentioned, um, but also in the way that like enough for you is just a guitar. Uh, Maybe I'm making that up. I feel like when I experience it, it's just a guitar, right? Like there's some there there is a way that she's still being understated and big at the same time. And that is like really the tradition of amazing singer songwriters, especially female singer songwriters. So the question is, do we feel like we dole out admiration on teens when they mimic or pay tribute to the art that we loved at their age? And if we do, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is it just like a nothing thing? And then I guess another question is, is what Olivia is doing pandering or is it just the natural evolution of musical trends? Okay. Um, I would say all of the above. <laughs> I, so I think it's when we, when they, um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's nice and good when, you know, younger artists like Olivia respectfully acknowledge their influences and cultural touchstones from before their time as she has done. Um, you know, it's like, so what if she used a similar prom aesthetic to Hole's 1994 album cover? I actually want to hear if you guys heard about that exchange with Courtney Love. And like, so what if she didn't watch Glee when we did um, or at all? I, at the same time, like, I do think we've got to be careful not to get so sort of caught up and project so much onto her and other young famous people that the brand and the person split off from each other in harmful ways as they are wont to do after a certain period of time. So I think like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it's pandering. It's like when people say, like when people write memoirs and they make things up, but they do it in order to like explain a feeling that was real. I think it's kind of like that, whatever. She didn't watch Glee whatever she wasn't alive when holes album came out but then she kind of like took inspiration from it um i think that's fine i want to hear what you guys think but then i i also was wondering if you heard about the courtney love exchange i I did hear about the courtney love exchange I, i it's always times like this that shock me because it's like that's like how music and creativity works at least in like my mind it's like everything kind of like ebbs and flows off each other it's not as if she like re-recorded the her song and then was like, I made this up. Like this is something that I wrote and did and took credit yeah, for. Right. And it's it- also not as if Courtney Love invented prom or like cheerleaders or things that are like so pervasive in America. Yeah. No. Like Courtney Love watched Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like they do look similar, but uh, yeah, it's just like Courtney Love trying to like put herself into the eco stream again and being like I can prove a point to be relevant um 
I think that people are also going to hate on young girls succeeding because we hate young girls when they succeed and like try ways to like diminish all of the good and stuff that they have done. Um, and we're just going to continue to do that. And that's why I worry for her and her future because it's what we did to Brittany. It's what we did to, it's like Christina Aguilera on some level too. Uh, it's what we did to Demi Lovato. Like, Yeah. So let's get into that because I do think we need to be clear-eyed about how we are treating her, people are treating her. And I think that in recent memory, we haven't gotten to witness a new pop star rise at this pace, which I think is perfect for these conversations. And what I mean is it's fast enough that the rise is clear, but it's slow enough that we can like take stock of our own reactions as they develop. There's still a lot of people who have never heard of Olivia Rodrigo and like she was at the White House. So like she's not a total rando. Yeah. So the Glamour article we referenced notes this quote, one key difference is that millennials teen years were characterized by a kind of ritual public sacrifice of women pop singers. This year has sparked reckoning as the public reconsiders the media treatment of Taylor Swift, Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson, among others. Rodrigo's rise feels mildly messianic given this context on the first track of her album. She sings, who am I, if I'm not exploited, she seems to have a greater measure of control over her career and her image than her predecessors had. She's a living example of the hope and the culture can evolve End quote. So this is an inflection point for all of us, for Courtney love. Um, and by the way, I love the band whole and I'm grateful for everything they've done. I just hate this. I know I was gonna, I don't mean to, I, I do want to keep talking about this, but, um, like she is also standing on Hole's shoulders, not just visually, but yeah. in terms of like the way that they raged is actually important to where Olivia is today. It is. Yeah. I want to acknowledge that, but also be like, there is a way to go about things anyway. This is, this is an inflection point we're in it right now, which means that we all have a choice regarding how we treat this new superstar, this new it girl. So in episode 32 of this podcast um, about Demi Lovato and the heaviness of fandom, we asked some questions about Olivia. We said, when people talk about her talent or music, do we find ourselves wanting to cut it down and talk about her collaborators instead or how she got famous from Disney undercutting her and implying she doesn't deserve it when she inevitably grows up into a woman if or when she chooses to show her body more including songs with themes around sexuality are we going to say that she's selling out and when people say IDK there's just something about her that I don't like can we remind them that the media forces female figures into oversaturation, pushes them to the edge, and then takes them down? I think that the more famous she gets, the more these questions feel really important as gut checks for us. So I want to explore the oversaturation point specifically. Um, I feel like a little not great saying this because she's been a not great arbiter of important conversations at times, but... I learned about this concept of oversaturation chiefly through a series of Instagram stories from Jamila Jamil. <laughs> um, if you're curious, they're saved in her highlights on her Instagram under, uh, they're called gaslighting. So she explains these dynamics and also shares people's responses um, as she's explaining them. And a lot of people essentially are like DMing her, realizing that they were manipulated into thinking women like Taylor Swift, Jennifer Lawrence, Meghan Markle, and other talented, famous women were annoying. So essentially, what's going to happen to Olivia is that she is truly about to be everywhere. And when we say that, you know, based off of what, what Hannah was just saying, what we mean is that she's going to show up on the internet in places that don't even have to do with her. Um, like when Meghan Markle was told to quote unquote lay low after being homebound for like over a month, but because the public was sick of her, but like she hadn't even left her house in that time. And, you know, headlines about nothing will start using Olivia's picture to get clicks. Comedians will start to use her in their bits versus a tool to tell a different joke. And then maybe at some point as the butt of the joke, 
um, as we get to know her more or her brand kind of expands in some way. If something happens to her or about her or around her and she has any sort of reaction to it, the likelihood that that reaction is painted as aggressive, emotional, or immature is really high. Yeah. And I think we, we have to mention Brittany here. Do we talk about her in every episode? Yes. And that's fine. And this episode is not an exception. Uh, because of the timing of Olivia's rise with Brittany's conservatorship, literal trials and tribulations is putting the stakes of this conversation in stark relief. Watching Brittany go through the turmoil that she's going through and having a mirror held up to us, the consumers and all the ways we get it so wrong over the decades should force anyone with a heart to re-examine their gut reaction to celebrities and how they choose to live their lives. I know that the B-Sides community is not going to be the group that stops this cycle from happening and taking Olivia down, but I hope that we can be a part of encouraging smarter conversations about celebrity. So if you're talking to a douchebag uh, about Olivia or any other female pop star, just know that if you are the only one in that you know bar or party and you're fighting with them, just know that you have the whole B-Sides community, like we're behind you. We we're there, even though we're not at the party with you, we're behind you. Um, and I do think the B-Sides is part of a larger push towards taking celebrity media, celebrity media seriously. Like there's other podcasts, of course, like Who Weekly, but also there's a lot of um, TikToks, which I've seen really break down celebrity culture in ways that are really nuanced and also political. So I guess this is our call to action listeners. Like we're not going to let Olivia go through this cycle. I think as we have talked about, she is doing what she can to set her up, to set herself up for success. She owns her masters. She's clearly thinking very smartly about, you know, how she wants to be in the world and what she wants her image to be, but there's only so much she can do, right? Like we, we have to be there too. So I mean, I think another thing that we are going to watch for in the next few years um, is what happens with her second album. So another thing that superstars, especially who are women, face is their sophomore slump. And Becky and Mimi know that I keep wanting to do an episode about Lady Gaga's art pop and how it wasn't actually the flop everyone said it was. So side note, if you want that episode, let us know because we keep kind of delaying it but if you wanted it, it would help us like make it happen. So anyway, people are now saying that like Billie Eilish is in her flop era and it's like also like not even true. Um, but it's just so hard for sophomore albums or eras to be met with anything other than criticism, because if it's bad, it's proof that what she did was, you know, lightning in a bottle. It was a fluke. And if it's good, well, of course, you know, it's because her label is backing her. They're putting resources into it. So whatever the substance I think we should watch what happens when a second album comes out. That's so true about sophomore albums. It seems really stressful. And just trying to make any sort of career move after any sort of like lightning in a bottle kind of um, project. Okay. So on a different note about how she's crafting her public image, it's heartening that Olivia's going to the White House so early in her stardom. Thank you, pandemic. She is charting a different path than Taylor did. And this suits Gen Z well. Gen Z is a much more overtly political generation than others that came before. Um, so she's not subversive by any means. And going to the Biden White House to talk vaccines isn't the most radical act. It's a little we did a Joe <laughs> again. Um, but she is, but it is a lot for an 18 year old famous person. And she's charting a path for, for her early on that action is a part of her quote unquote celebrity. So our hope is that through communicating a clear political framework from the get go, it can only get easier for her to speak out as opposed to non-political celebrities who have a way harder time taking that first step and overcoming the hurdle of their own silence. Okay. So when we were first thinking about doing this episode, I actually kind of originally wanted it to be like a review of sour because I have so many fucking thoughts about that amazing album, but that's okay. I think it was actually good for us to talk about these bigger issues and we can figure out other ways to talk about sour. 
Um, but how about we just go quickly through like Mimi, Becky, and I'll share too. What are some of your faves from Sour? I love one step forward, three steps back. And it's simply because it samples Jack Antonoff. Oh, wait, this is something else I was going to ask you. Okay. Do you all know about how Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff, and St. Vincent recently retroactively got songwriting credit on Deja Vu? Oh, no, I didn't. I'm like right now. So there's like two, my understanding is that there's like two camps about why that happened. Like one is that it's this lovely thing where she was like, yes, Cruel Summer inspired me. I want to give you the credit. And then there's definitely some cynics who are like, Taylor's getting her money these days. Like she doesn't let anything go anymore. And I like hope it's a little bit of both. I hope it doesn't mean there's like a, I hope it's just a nice like artistic credit thing, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, one step forward, three steps back is like very clearly sampling New Year's Day. So they did get the credit on that, but I, Deja Vu seems a little bit like a stretch. She mentioned that she, I mean, she said explicitly that she's inspired by Cool Summer and you can hear it, but that doesn't mean it's a writing credit. I don't know. Yeah. It's like three steps that one step forward, three steps back. It's like clear that it's that song. And that's why it's one and three instead of one and two, because it's 13, which is an Easter egg for Taylor, which I think we've talked about on an episode before. I'm surprised about Deja Vu, but you know, Taylor, she gets what she wants a lot of the time. Um, I think, all right, I'm going to leave driver's license and Deja Vu and good for you out of it. I think, I think good for you is like an obvious standout to a lot of people. Um, but I love that kind of trifecta that came first. And then the others that I really love, I love it as a whole kind of sort of narrative arc growth moment. Um, but I love brutal for a lot of reasons, but the sort of like mid nineties alt rock moment that it is. Um, and then trader and favorite crime a lot. And also probably jealousy, jealousy, if we're being real. How about you, Hannah? Well, something I think that makes her very different from Taylor and charting a really different path forward is that I agree with all of her first three singles instead of being so upset about them once the full track list comes <laughs> What a out. concept. Yeah. <laughs> I think Driver's License was a perfect first. I think Deja Vu was a perfect second and Good For You was a perfect third. Like I wouldn't change anything. I'm so impressed with her. Yeah. Um, and I think those are definitely some of my favorites. I love the ballads. Like I listen to them constantly. And I think I love all of them, but the one I'm going to shout out because I think it's not getting enough love is enough for you. I just love it. I think it's so beautiful. And I think Trader is the other one that I think, ugh, it just gets me. But all of them, like, I, I think that this is a, I think it's a good, I'm impressed that it's short. I think that's like the right choice. Cause I think that like there, this is a perfect body of work. I think hope you're okay is an amazing thing to end on. And I, I love that also like brutal opens with her saying I want it to be like messy and then hope you're okay closes with her talking so it's kind of like she opens and closes it with just her regular speaking voice which I think is so beautiful yeah they're all so good I'm so excited for the 35 minute tour I know (laughs) I know she's gonna be so good live she's gonna open for Taylor yeah um and if you start brutal and you like try to hear what she says at the beginning which is what you said but if you're like wait what was that then you just get destroyed a few seconds later when it starts it's great so i have a theory about favorite crime that it's about like them having sex and that that is the crime because i think that it was like i think he was older than 18 and she was younger and you know like she says like she does mention in a different song, like sleeping in the bed we made and things like that. But then the line in favor crime. Cause I was going down, but I was doing it with you. I'm like, Oh my God. Like he. <laughs> it, it could be. 
I, like I also was about their sexual experiences together. Okay. I think that makes sense because I, if not, I was like, I mean, calling a song favorite crime and saying I was your favorite crime is like great lyrically, but it makes you wonder what is, what about me is the crime. <laughs> and when it's an 18, a recently turned 18 year old, um, I, that makes more sense now. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Just some theories. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. I'm trying to like read this more. The lyrics now. Yeah. Every time the sirens sound, I wonder if you're around. Like I, I kind of am like. At the same time, you used me as an alibi. Yeah. What would that mean? Also, like every time you hear the sirens, like, does she assume he's getting arrested every <laughs> single time? Like for this, for like this. I was thinking about it totally differently. I was like, now when she like thinks about having sex, like he's who she thinks about. Oh, I have no idea. That She's part beautiful. seems to make sense with your theory. I'm only confused. Well, oh yeah, and cross my heart as you cross the line. Yeah, I, I read the next line. My I was like, well. <laughs> Yep. That part all tracks. Yep. It's true. Well, I think it's a great song, but that isn't great. Do we have any skips on this album at all? I don't think so, but it's also a a very short album. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of a song has to be pretty bad if you skip like a 30 minute album. (laughs) Anything on there amazing yeah can't wait for number two can't wait for number two but also no pressure right like take your time but no pressure that's how i felt about normani and then we got it that's great almost still not yeah. an album. anyway different episode um what are our closing thoughts about this superstar i'm gonna keep pumping her up and keeping it positive clicking things liking things talking good Good yeah. things into the app into it for her so she um and i just hope she knows she's doing a great job i got a vaccine because of her no i'm just kidding i got vaccinated in april i don't want people to actually think that no you famously got it because of her <laughs> retroactively yeah you know best of luck we're we're rooting for her and um that's that's about it i don't know yeah, I think watch that this space. watch this space. Her talent is so like pure in a way that I think is really unique for someone to be as famous and as young as she is that I just I'm yeah, definitely want to protect her at all costs and also can't wait to keep listening to everything she does. So thank you, Olivia, for giving us some great 2021 soundtracks you were you know not at all on my spotify 2020 wrapped probably but you will probably be like the queen of my 2021 which is just amazing like how fast things can change so with that that is our show thank you so much for listening um that's the end of the episode but of course it's not the end of the conversation we can't wait to hear what you think if you have a second and you want to support us, please leave us a review on iTunes or any of your podcast apps of choice. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. And consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 